This week, the Pope visits Auschwitz and asks why God was silent during the Holocaust. Kassam rockets land in the south of Israel in Steyrat, with a direct hit on a house very close to the defense ministers. Katusha rockets shelling and gunfire on the northern border of Israel from Hezbollah. Ten months after the expulsion from Gush Katif, 111 families are not even living in temporary prefab structures. Meanwhile, there are orders from the Israeli government to destroy 12 outpost communities in the West Bank. It's the May 31st edition of the Bible in the News. This week, we are going to discuss some of these questions with the editor of IsraelReporter.com. With us on the Bible in the News is Shlomo Wallens from IsraelReporter.com. All the way from Jerusalem, Israel. Shlomo, welcome. How are you doing? Very good, thanks. Uh, Shlomo was in Gush Katif during the expulsion last summer. He was in Amona during the destruction of nine Jewish homes. He witnessed the police violence. He was, in fact, injured. He was in Hebron during the marketplace eviction and the Beit Shapira eviction, bringing us the news in a different kind of way. Shlomo, what brings you to these hotspots, and what are you trying to accomplish? I know you're not doing this for power or money. Uh, what's, what's, why are you doing this? Well, essentially, I grew up in America, and I, I worked on Wall Street for about 20 years. And I was, I was brought up in a secular family. And at some point in my life, about nine years ago, I started returning back to a, a God-believing consciousness and to return to the faith of my, of my, my fathers. And uh, along with that, I used to be a Wall Street investment banker. And I decided to, to move my life six years ago to, to Israel to, to be part of what I believe is a, a very difficult but a, a redemption process of the Jewish people in the land. Um, I had no idea when I came here six years ago that I would inevitably uh, be involved in the type of, of travesties and tragedies that, I, that I've been involved with. The reason I went to Gush Katif was, was from a simple feeling of brotherly responsibility. When I studied the disengagement plan of Ariel Sharon, and then I saw that there was the plan itself was horrible politics. But worse than that, they were completely unprepared to put 10,000 people anywhere. There was nothing prepared for them. So from a place of brotherly responsibility, I, I couldn't live with myself in my comfortable Jerusalem home and decided that I had to go stand with them. And so on May 10th of last year, I moved down, and I was with them for 100 days till August 17th, which was the, the, the day of the death of Nevedi Kalim, which was the major capital uh, uh, of, of Gush Katif. When I went there, I started a blog to combat what I saw as some very nasty media bias against these wonderful people. These are people who committed no sins or no crimes. Um, they were just basically told to move for imminent domain, basically. And by meeting them, it changed my life. And the other thing that happened was my website, which was nothing more than a personal blog, started exploding in traffic. Uh, because there weren't many English-speaking uh, American blog sites out of Gush Katif. And I started actually interviewing the residents. I understood that if I could get everyone in the world to sit down in Gush Katif and meet these people, that no one would ever want to touch one hair of their children. But how am I going to get everybody here? So I, I did a few things, one of which is I decided to start putting video off of my website and interviewing these people, and therefore the world could get to meet them. As, as we all know... Uh, it was the will of Hashem, unfortunately, that, that Gush Katif would not be in our hands. And the people should understand who study, who study history um, is that this is the sixth time in 1900 years that Jews have been kicked out of this, you know, the Gaza Strip. We'll be back, but we've been kicked out again. 
the reason I continued was because I understood from the traffic on my website and a lot of you know the thousands of emails I received that there was a real demand for a God-believing, English-speaking, right-wing news website, and that's what his reporter has become. In the last year, we've had you know a third of a million visitors, eight million hits. And I became sort of known as a specialist in this gruesome reporting, which is the reporting of Jewish soldiers and army uprooting, sometimes violently, and, and destroying their communities and unburying their dead and, and letting their, their, their shuls be burned by, by our enemies. So I, I, I ended up sort of being like a, a caretaker in a war or a funeral undertaker in a war, a very, very vibrant business, but a very difficult business. When I went to Amona, uh, it was the day after they evicted the nine families from the Hebron Shuk. Uh, I had no idea Mona would turn into what it turned into, but eventually what it became was a coliseum of violence. And the, the fact that a child wasn't killed in Mona was, was only due to the protection of the Almighty. And I, I, I am very sad to report that I don't believe we're going to be so lucky um, in the future confrontations. I, I do believe, uh, in the saddest sense, I believe we're heading towards a potential loss of life between Jewish soldiers and Jewish residents. Right. So this doesn't bode well for the future. The Israeli government has actually recently renewed orders to demolish 12 outpost communities and plans to destroy dozens more. What are these outpost communities like, Shlomo? That's an excellent question. And people should understand that these outpost communities are not the convergence plan. The convergence plan that Omar just presented to uh, President George Bush is to evacuate an estimated, let's say, 70 to 90,000 residents from larger, major cities throughout the Shimon Yehuda. That plan is very much on hold. Uh, as you saw, President Bush called it a bright idea. Uh, all the Arab countries, Europe, China, even the local politicians, uh, not including Kadima, are not even throwing the plan anymore. So the, the convergence plan, which is basically Gush Katif times 10 throughout Yehuda and Shimon, uh, looks like it's, even in its best form, is two years out, but it, it could never happen. The problem is, is that what is separate from the, from the convergence is what are known as these quote-unquote illegal outposts. And illegal, obviously, is like passing a judgment before, before, the, uh, before the, the trials were made. Basically what these are, and understand, these, these weren't like put up in the middle of the night. The government knew about it, all of these. Bill Rose to many of them, supported them. Just like Gush Katif, the government supported that. And that's where they are, and there are numerous, it's all about dozens of them. Most of them were formed since, let's say, 2000, and there are between 10, 15, 20 families on hilltop, caravan, very idealistic communities, have their own school. There's usually a road that the government built, and there's light and water. And in some cases, they've been there, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. Um, in many cases, they were built. One example, Givat Asaf. Givat Asaf means like Asaf Hill. Uh, Asaf is the last name of a gentleman who was murdered by the Arabs near Beit El. And they, uh, many times when, when there's what's called a pagua or, or, or a, a terrorist murder here, uh, the community that that person was from will form a new hilltop settlement as a memorial to the, to the fallen and also a message to the Arabs. It doesn't help you by killing us. If you kill one of us, then now there's 20 more homes on the hill. 
So it's a sort of a Zionistic reaction to terrorism. So a, a number of these, these outposts were reformed the last three, four, five years by a family in reaction to uh, a terrorist incident. And since then, they've grown to be, you know, maybe five singles, 10 families, 15 families. They're, they're generally small, but in almost every case, they're extremely strategic in terms of where they're located. And also in many cases, it's so, you know, the immorality and also, it doesn't change the situation. There's no improvements in the situation. But what's happened here is you have a left, a left sort of like feeding machine, and it's feeding right now on Jewish surrender. And it's the UN, it's, it's, it's the EU. And since they see that the convergence, meaning the Gush Katif-type uh, mega wholesale additions are looking pretty poor in the, in the global sphere, um, they're going to be sort of filling the media up with mini ammonas so my, my prediction for the next year or two years is you're going to hear less and less and less about the long-term major evacuations. But what, you, and what the news is going to be filled up with is you know, every six weeks to eight weeks is an Amona, a Beit Shapira, a Hebron. It's going to be these nasty, you know, 1,000, 2,000 uh, riot police surrounding a hilltop, threatening them traumatizing the children, uh, beating up children, and dragging them out and destroying their community. I mean, that's, that's basically what they do. They're very good at it. Um, they're, they, they're, they've proved that a motor, they're willing to be almost mortally violent to do it. We proved that a motor, we're willing to stand up and be beaten for this land. So there is a, a huge struggle that is going to be played out uh, through these hilltops. And, and understand, this is not a modern-day story. This has been going on in Jewish history for a very long time. There's always been assimilated groups of Jews. The Hanukkah was a Hellenistic group of Jews. There's always been... A group of Jews, even before the Holocaust, you had the Reform Movement. You, you always have a group of Jews that just don't want to, they just don't want to do it the way God said it. They want to like do it their way. And, when they, and then eventually well, that leads them to, to have an ideological slash social conflict with the believing Jewish population, which leads them to conflict. Okay, so and slow one, hmm? So you said that um, these people are willing to stand up and be beaten for what they believe in, uh, or for their homes. What Specifically, what is the ideology that makes them live where they do? God. Okay, so uh, many of these Jews, too, if I'm correct, believe that this is part of the redemption process. Is that correct? Could you give a little bit of information on that? Right. Uh, I wouldn't say these Jews believe. I mean, there simply can't be a Jew that doesn't believe. It, it's, 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 it's primary to our teachings that the redemption of the Jewish people can and only will happen. Uh, when the Jewish people return. It's one of the... Our, 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 our Talmud gives us a series of signs called simonim, but, you know, maybe seven or eight of them, things that will occur that will be signposts for us. You know, the Jews have been on a very long, nasty road. So, you know, the, our sages gave us sort of like... You know, I used to run the marathons, and when you saw that sign said 26 miles, I mean, you all, all of a sudden picked up. So as we have these signs telling us we're close. And one of those signs is the... Is the, the uh, the return of the Jewish people to the land. Another one of those signs is the blossoming of the land. I mean, Israel was barren for centuries. So a series of signs are occurring that our sages told us to pay attention to. Um, and, and one of the redemption signs, and this is right there in the prophets for everyone to read, is that there will be a war at the end of days. And that war uh, will be something on a global scale. And that war will really its outcome will depend upon whether the Jewish nation 
a return to their God or not. And if they do, the war will have a miraculous ending, there'll be redemption, and if they don't, it's going to be, you know, Armageddon. And, and when you see Iran talking about wiping Israel off the map with one bomb, you know, it's like the modern-day Haman, uh, the modern-day Hitler. I mean, you know, people should understand is that Hamas is, is, is the, is the um, inherited Mein Kampf. I mean, the, the, the connection from Hitler to Palestinians is almost direct. So, to answer all of your questions, uh, I believe living in Israel is, is what a Jew should be doing. I, thought, I think that more Jews would, would come and live here and live together in, in a sense of respect for each other, that the Jewish nation would be in a much better condition, and, and the whole world would by that matter. Okay, Shlomo, do you have any idea, obviously you will, but why does the government of Israel seem to target religious Zionists? <laughs> you know, it, it, when I'm at these evacuations, uh, naturally there are a lot, of, a lot of reporters, and I'm usually one of the only uh, 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 Jewish uh, Israeli religious ones that speaks English. So it, it's very interesting, you know, to, to, to speak to these other reporters about what's going on. And I say to them, let's look at something here. You know, you have a mona in your head, and you can look on your, your... Right now, I'm standing in a mona, and I'm on top of that pile of burning bricks. On the left side of me is a line of maybe 200 riot police with horses and sticks and helmets. On the other side is maybe 500 kids. This is the scene that was going on for a while. And I was talking to a German reporter, and that's all very ironic. You know, here's, here's a Jew in Israel, talking to a German reporter when, when Jews are being thrown out of their houses. It's just the irony of it really struck me. And I said to him, I said, you know, did it ever occur to you to, to, to understand that there's religious elements to this? And he goes, what are you talking about? I go, look at the, look at the soldiers. Every single one of them. Oh, I was, 99, 95% of them are non-religious. And 100% of the people who made the decision to send them are non-religious. I go, now look, look over that way. Every single kid has, has, is, has his head covered, and every girl's wearing a dress. In other words, when 100% of one side is religious, and 100% of the other is non, it, it is journalistic uh, negligence not to understand that there is a clear, clear ideo ideological battle going on. With Beit Shapiro, with three families in, in, in Hebron they threw out last month, they brought a thousand soldiers to do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is, this is really a media show. The state of Israel, which is very much strangled by secular left-wing liberal people, are trying everything they can to do to show the world that Torah is on the way out and a liberal secular state is on the way in. And there is, there is, as I said before, this is not a new battle. You're just seeing its current format of, of, of the believing Jews who are here because, one, God gave us this land and told us to live here. And two, that there will be redemption for us and for the whole world when we get ourselves back here, establish a state based on Torah laws, and drive our enemies out. And so that's what we're doing here. But to say that, unfortunately, you know, I'm sure your site is not guilty of this at all, uh, but most, most major news stations, since they are entirely secular people, cannot understand that this is a religious battle between believing Jews and non-believing Jews. And let me add on, they also can't understand terrorism at all, because terrorism is, isn't, isn't, isn't a military decision. It is a religious commandment for these people. When, when the U.S. asks Hamas to recognize, recognize Israel, which, by the way, I find it humiliating that my government is asking these primitives 
to recognize my... God recognizes me. God recognizes my right to live here. I don't need a terrorist to, to sign a piece of paper to tell me I have a right to live in Israel. But that's how... Excuse my language, that's how sick our leaders are. They think that if a terrorist gives them, you know, gives them the right to exist, that they're fine now. But this is a, the, the, the conflicts that are leading to these expulsion, expulsions, as well as the, 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 the terrorism, are all religious-based. And since the secular media cannot plug into that reality, they miss the story entirely. Okay, thanks, Shlomo. Now, on your website, IsraelReporter.com, you have an audio clip from the liberation of Bergen-Belsen. Uh, those liberated, liberated Jews are singing the Hatikva. It's very moving. Um, and then this week, the new German Pope visited Auschwitz. Uh, the headline on the Jerusalem Post was Pope at Auschwitz, and why, Lord, did you remain silent? Don't you think there's a sinister twist here in the most common charge against the Vatican for their role in the Holocaust? in that the Pope remained silent while the Jews were exterminated? Right. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't help but put a bit of a smile and a giggle in my voice. It's, it's not a Jewish question at all. You know, where was God during the Holocaust? That question almost seems to assume that the whole world is just, was just, at that point, Germans, Jews, and God. And there was nobody else. So where was God? The Germans were killing the Jews, and God wasn't helping, and it was God's fault. Well, last time I looked, there were a few billion people on this planet. And also last time I looked, you know, hundreds of millions of them believe in God and the Bible and read it. And there is a responsibility of the non-Jewish nations, when, when the Jews can't stand up for themselves, to stand up for us. And, and this question, the question the Pope should have been asking, isn't where was God, it was where, where was the Pope? The question for the Holocaust wasn't where was God during the Holocaust, well, it would have been an arrogant question, in my opinion. A very non-Jewish, extremely arrogant question, as if it was his fault, by the way. The, the implication of that question is what? The Holocaust is God's fault. So, no, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a good question at all. It, what the Church should be asking is, where were we during the Holocaust? God can take care of himself. He doesn't need the Pope to ask him questions. But the Pope should be asking, you really want me to answer this question? The Pope should be on his hands and knees, ripping his shirt, and at, begging the Jewish people to forgive them for what they did to us. If they believe in God, that's what they'll be doing. Because that's the same God that they believe in is going to judge them for, for the six million. So the question isn't whether it's God, Pope. The question is really you. Yeah. Okay. Very good, uh, Shlomo. And I'd like to thank you very much for being on the program. And I wish you the best with your future plans. And I encourage everybody to check out IsraelReporter.com and visit that website to look at some of the videos and some of the information that's given there that you will not find on CNN or the BBC or any of these news stations. Okay, Shlomo, thanks so much for being on the program. And again, I wish you success with your work. Many blessings. Thank you, sir. Well, friends, that wraps up this week's edition. Come back again next week, God willing, for more Bible in the News.